Uh, well, friends, uh, I don't know whether you've seen any pink flamingos at the beach lately. Uh, I recently went to the beach with my family, and I noticed uh, that on the beach there were uh, lots of these massive pink flamingo floaties. Uh, have you seen them around? Um, they're a bit hard to miss. But the thing about these pink flamingo floaties is that although they seem like a lot of fun, uh, they are also very dangerous. Uh, you know, there have been numerous incidents where people have been on one of these things and uh, they've discovered them miles away from the shore. You see, it started with a bit of fun, but slowly, even without them noticing, they drifted further and further away from shore and some of them have even perished. Now, friends, uh, this morning, uh, as Matt uh, alerted us to, we're beginning this new series on the book of Hebrews. And uh, we've already uh, been told that uh, there is a lot that we don't know about this book. Uh, And so, for example, we are not told who wrote the letter, nor are we given much information about the recipients of this letter, Uh, or the circumstances surrounding this letter. Uh, Even the style of this letter is a little bit of an enigma, uh, because you'll notice there that it doesn't begin like a typical letter in the New Testament, does it? And at the very end of the letter, the writer in chapter 13, verse 22, chapter 13, verse 22, calls this letter a word of exhortation. Uh, which sounds more like a sermon. And as you read through the letter, it kind of sounds more like a sermon as well. And so is it a letter or is it a sermon? However, uh, one thing that we do know is that it, is, it was addressed to Christian people who were slowly drifting, uh, drifting away from Jesus in their Christian lives and putting themselves in great spiritual danger. Uh, As we will uh, see further along, I I think it's probable that the writer is writing to a people who have been converted to Christ out of Judaism, but they were tempted to go back to their former way of life in Judaism. But you see, they were tempted to go back away from Jesus to something that they they had known previously. Uh, You can see this danger implied in chapter 2, verse 1. And so if you have your Bibles there, have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 1, where the author of Hebrews warns his listeners. It says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. You see, these were Christians who were drifting from the message of salvation in Jesus and into their former way of life in Judaism. We don't know precisely why uh, this was the case. Uh, Perhaps it was because of persecution that they were facing as Christians. Uh, You know, Judaism was a protected religion back then, and so uh, it would have been safer to go back into their former religion. Or it may be that they felt a certain attraction to the rituals of Judaism over the Christian life, which for now is far less tangible as we live by faith, trusting in Jesus, who we cannot see or feel or touch. And yet this other religion uh, may have seemed a lot more tangible. Uh, Now, my guess is that not many of us have ever 
felt the temptation to drift away into Judaism. Has anyone felt that temptation before? I uh, didn't think so. But uh, I reckon we all know the temptation, don't we, to drift away from Jesus at uh, particular times or different times in our lives. Uh, perhaps we drift away because a life without Jesus just seems so much more comfortable to us. Uh, perhaps we drift away because a life without Jesus seems more tangible and immediate in its blessings than a life with Jesus at the moment. Now, are you sort of drifting in your Christian life? Are you on that spiritual pink flamingo, kind of drifting away from shore into danger? Uh, Now, friends, uh, in our passage this morning, I want you to see that the way the writer of Hebrews encourages his readers not to spiritually drift away from, from Jesus is to see just how superior Jesus is to their former way of life, to anything that Judaism can offer. Uh, And you can see this in the word superior uh, in verse 4. It's a word that uh, we'll find, uh, will come up again and again in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, as the writer shows just how much more superior Jesus is uh, to the Jewish faith. And the first thing that the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus' superiority is that he's much more superior to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, let's pick it up from verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now you can see there that the writer of Hebrews... Uh, firmly believes that God is a speaking God. Uh, How wonderful that we have a God who speaks to us and personally reveals himself to us. But you'll notice here that there is a contrast being made between how God has spoken in the past, in the Old Testament, and how he speaks to us now. You see, on the one hand, God has revealed himself to his people long ago in Old Testament times. How did he do that? How did he speak to them? Well, we're told that he spoke at many times and in many ways. Uh, As uh, Mike very helpfully uh, uh, taught us before, um, in the Old Testament, you'll see that sometimes God spoke through dreams. Uh, God spoke through visions. He even spoke through the mouth of a donkey. But he spoke at many times and in many ways. Who did he speak to? Well, you can see there in our passage that he spoke to our fathers, which is a way of speaking about uh, the the Jewish people in the Old Testament, the Jewish forefathers. And who were God's messengers? Well, they were the prophets, the divinely ordained spokespeople of God uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, But here's the thing. Notice that After the Old Testament times, there is something new and different about the way God speaks to his people. Uh, In verse 2, he contrasts how God has spoken in in the Old Testament to how God speaks to us in these last days. Uh, The last days is the period between Jesus' first coming and second coming. Uh, It's the period in which this letter was written Uh, It's the period that you and I are living in at the moment. But notice that in these last days, God is no longer 
uh, speaking to the Jewish forefathers, but he's speaking to us. And how does he speak? Well, he speaks to us by his son, who is Jesus. But what does it mean for God to speak to us by his son? Well, on the one hand, it means that Jesus uh, was the messenger or is the messenger who brings God's word to us, just as the prophets were the messengers who brought God's word to the people. But Jesus is much more than simply the messenger because notice that he is also the message that God has for his people. For the content of that message has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, You can see this in what follows um, uh, in in Hebrews because uh, you'll see there next that the writer outlines uh, seven things about who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, Who is Jesus? In verse 2, he is the heir of all things. In other words, Jesus will inherit everything that the Father, God the Father owns, which is the whole universe. In verse 2 again, Jesus is the agent of creation. He is the one through whom God created all things in this universe. In verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, just as the sun radiates light, Jesus is the one who radiates the glory of God to humanity. And so it's no surprise to see next that the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. The word imprint there is the word that was used for the image of uh, the king's head uh, that was imprinted onto coins. Uh, you know, we still have that, don't we? We have the monarch imprinted onto coins. Um, the, the king's image there is exactly the same as the image that is on the coin press. And so what this is saying is that Jesus is the exact imprint of who God is. Jesus is God himself in every way. And so he is the one who can perfectly reveal God to us. And given that he is in very nature God, uh, we're told again in verse 3 that he sustains all things. He upholds all things by his very powerful word. Now that's an astonishing thought, isn't it? Um, The only reason why you and I can sit here and live and breathe and have our being is because Jesus is sustaining us by the power of his word. But notice that God's word to us in these last days is not simply about who Jesus is, it's also about what Jesus has done. For what has Jesus done? Well, at the end of verse 3, we're told that he made purification for sins. It's talking about the death of Jesus on the cross. But uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews here is using priestly language for, as we will see later, Jesus is the great high priest who purifies his people from all sin. And further, you'll see there that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, after Jesus died, he rose again, and he is now ruling with all glory and power and, and majesty at God's right hand. Uh, Now, friends, uh, I realize that there's a lot of theological information sort of packed in those verses. 
But uh, if I can bring it all together, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus the Son is far superior to the Old Testament prophets because he is God's final word to us. He is God's clear and decisive and final word to us who are living in the last days. Now, I think that leaves us with um, at least uh, two very important implications. Uh, firstly, the writer of Hebrews is saying, um, has implications for how we read the Bible. Uh, I want to be clear at the outset that the writer of Hebrews is not saying that the Old Testament is somehow less God's word than the New Testament. In fact, uh, you'll notice throughout the, the letter that the writer to the Hebrews continues to quote the Old Testament as though it is God's living word to us now. But it is to say that the Old Testament in and of itself is incomplete without the Jesus of the New Testament. For the relationship between the Old Testament to the New Testament is one of promise and fulfillment. Everything that was promised by the prophets in the Old Testament finds its ultimate expression and fulfillment in the Jesus of the New Testament. And so we must read the Old Testament, friends. In one sense, we won't understand the New Testament unless we know the Old Testament. But we will not understand God and his plans for us until we understand how the Old Testament moves forward and finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's why, friends, uh, every time we come to church, we have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading because we want to see this shape of promise and fulfillment that is in the Bible. Secondly, uh, this passage should make us aware of the ex- uh, sorry, this passage should make us beware of the unhelpful expectation that God will give us new and fresh revelations of himself either individually or corporately, to his people. Uh, You may have met Christian people who claim to have heard God's voice speaking to them in dreams and visions or other miraculous ways which go beyond what is revealed in the scriptures. Now, uh, it's not that God cannot reveal himself in these ways. He's God. He can. But what God says to us in Hebrews is that Jesus is his final word to us. He has made himself absolutely clear in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so why would we expect God to reveal new things about himself? Is Jesus not enough for us? Uh, I'm showing my age here, but when I was younger, my parents brought me a complete set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, Has anyone owned a set of encyclopedias before. Um, This was before the time of the internet when they had these things called books. (laughs) And uh, my parents, being Asian parents, bought me these books in the hope that it would make me smarter. Uh, I think they were a little bit disappointed. Uh, But the thing about the set of encyclopedias is that every year they would send us an an additional volume (laughs) because uh, the information they had at the beginning uh, kept on being outdated, and you had to find out, uh, and, and they wanted us to know new things. But you see, friends, God's word is not like that. 
It's not as though God's word to us needs to keep on being updated with the latest new thing. No, what Hebrews is teaching us is that in Jesus we have God's final word to us. And so let's uh, love that word and let's listen to that word. Uh, Now, we've seen that Jesus is superior to the prophets, but what the writer of Hebrews says next is that Jesus is also superior to the angels, uh, which you can see there in verse 4. Now, in order to prove this, uh, you can see there that he quotes from seven Old Testament passages where God speaks about the Son, and he organises them in pairs to make his point. Uh, And what do these Old Testament passages teach? Well, we don't have time to look at all these passages in a great amount of detail, but uh, I want you to do a very quick exercise for me. Uh, Just have a look at the the Old Testament passages that are quoted there uh, from verse 5 to verse 14, and uh, you'll just uh, take them in pairs, uh, the first and second uh, passages, the third and fourth, and the fifth and sixth, and see what common element you find in those pairs. Does that make sense? So in the first pair, what's the thing that links those two passages together? Second pair, what's the thing that links those two passages together and so forth? Just uh, have, a, have a quick think. You can even um, share it with the person sitting next to you. Uh, All right, that's enough time. Uh, Let's come back together. Uh, Let's have a look at just the first one, um, for starters. Uh, Does anyone want to be brave and have a guess as to what's linking those two verses together? What's the big idea? The sun. Who said that? Zion. Ah, Thank you. Yeah, claim claim the credit. Um, (laughs) It's the idea of the sun, isn't it? And uh, those two passages, the first one is from uh, Psalm 2 and the second one is from 2 Samuel 7, Uh, they're very important passages in the Old Testament because uh, they are passages that speak about God's Messiah and King. And so the the point that the writer is making is that as God's Son, Jesus is uh, God's great Messiah and King who shares a unique relationship with the Father uh, in a way that no angel ever did. Okay, um, So that's the, the idea in those passages. How about the second uh, pair? Uh, what's the, the common theme uh, in, the, in the second pair of quotes? Angels, thank you. Thank you, Jan. Uh, angels, yeah, it's speaking about the angels. And uh, in particular, it's, it's speaking about uh, the, the place of angels, isn't it? Um, and uh, the first passage is saying that the angels worship the sun, and therefore the sun must be superior to the angels. And the second quote is saying that angels are uh, mere servants of God who do his bidding. And so, again, um, Jesus is exalted above the angels because they worship him. Uh, And the third pair... They're, they're a bit longer, aren't they, those passages? Uh, but just if you can pick out one common thing. Is the king, yeah. Uh, there's a, uh, 
he mentions uh, the rule of, of the sun, the, the throne, uh, the scepter of righteousness, the scepter of your kingdom, and so forth. Yeah. So there's a, there's a theme of kingship, but I think there's also the theme of um, the sun being eternal in nature, isn't there? Uh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, in verse 8. And uh, in the next passage, your years will have no end. That is, uh, as God's Son and Messiah and King, the one who is exalted above all things, uh, this King will, last, uh, will live forever and ever, unlike the angels who are mere created beings. But uh, here's the million-dollar question. Um, why is the writer of Hebrews so interested in showing us that Jesus is superior to the angels? Um, you know, is it because the recipients of the letter were somehow involved in the worship of angels? Uh, was it because there was some sort of heresy that taught that God's Messiah was beneath the angels? Um, if you read uh, through the commentaries, there's a lot of speculation about uh, why it might have been the case. But uh, I think it's because that there was this belief among the Jews that in the Old Testament, the law of God was given uh, at Mount Sinai through angels, through the intermediate. Uh, through the intermediate work of angels. And so uh, if you want to quickly turn with me, for example, to Acts chapter 7, verse 53. Acts chapter 7, verse 53. Uh, Stephen is in the midst of a sermon uh, that is going to get him martyred for his faith. And uh, in verse 53, he says, he's speaking to the Jews who relied on the law rather than Jesus, and he says, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You see, the, the angels are the ones who uh, ha, have brought the law to the people of Israel. Uh, or uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, uh, where again Paul is writing to a group of people who are uh, going back to the law rather than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says towards the end of verse 19 that the law was put in place through angels by an intermediary. In other words, the writer of Hebrews wants to show that Jesus is far superior to the angels because he wants to show that the message of salvation in Jesus is so much more superior to the message of the law that was given at Mount Sinai. Now, again, my guess is that no one here has ever been tempted to go back uh, to Judaism. But I want you to see that what God is showing us here is that Jesus occupies such an exalted place in God's universe that to ignore or reject this Jesus in our lives is to have no hope of salvation. To reject this exalted one means that you have no hope of being saved by God on the last day. If Jesus really is God's Messiah and King, who will save those who trust him and punish those who reject him, 
If Jesus really is the one who is exalted in the heavens, if he really is the eternal one who will rule God's kingdom eternally, then it would be a dreadful mistake. It would be a catastrophic mistake to not listen to him and reject him. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, friends, that in the final part of our passage this morning, the writer of Hebrews gives a solemn warning about drifting away from this Jesus. Uh, let's pick it up from chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message de- uh, declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see what he's saying? He's, he's arguing from the principle that the greater the privileged, the greater the responsibility. Uh, you know the people of Israel at Mount Sinai Uh, They heard God's word, but they disobeyed what God was saying. And you know what happened to them? Well, they fell dead in the desert before reaching the promised land, just as God had said. But here's the point. In these last days, God has spoken to us finally, decisively, clearly through his Son, And do you think if you ignore him or reject him in your life, you will get away with it? You and me who have had the great privilege of hearing God's word spoken to us week in, week out. If we ignore and reject this Jesus, do you think we will avoid his punishment? Please do not believe that belief that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament is a God of love. Oh yes, God is a God of love because they're the same God in both the Old and New Testaments. But if you ignore God's greatest word, then you will be punished, says the writer to the Hebrews. And so uh, what must we do? Uh, Well, the writer of Hebrews says that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must not neglect God's word to us. Uh, You know, it's so easy to be casual about God's word, isn't it, friends? So that we neglect it. Uh, It might come through neglecting to meet together with other Christians in order to hear God's word, whether that be on a Sunday or whether it be in our growth groups. You know, uh, you miss hearing God's word one Sunday because there are more important things to do. And then next time it becomes so much easier to miss two Sundays. And uh, after a little while, uh, we only come to church every now and then. And slowly and subtly, we start to drift away from Jesus. Or it's easy to neglect God's word through just out-and-out disobedience. You know, you are challenged by God's word one week to change some aspect of uh, our speech or behavior or our, our idolatry, 
but we go away and do nothing about it. As soon it becomes easier not to obey what God says, even though we are hearing the message. It's not that we're not listening to what's being said, but it's that we're not responding to it. And so after a while, we slowly start to drift away. But God's solemn warning to us this morning is that if you and I constantly neglect his word, which he has spoken to us by his very precious son, then there will be serious consequences. Do not think that we will escape God's wrath and punishment if we are people who reject the son in our lives. If we are in the habit of rejecting him again and again and again. Do not neglect what he says. Do not drift away from him. But pay careful attention to the things God says to us and live by obedience to that word with God's help. Uh, You know, the other day I read that in Melbourne, um, they don't have warning signs before speed cameras. Is that right, Edmund? There are some? Yep. (laughs) Okay. Um, You see, the Victorian government actually don't love their people (laughs) because uh, they they actually want you to get caught. Uh, They they don't put up warning signs before the actual camera. But it's a bit different here in Sydney, isn't it? Before every camera, you have at least three warnings. Slow down. Slow down. (laughs) Slow down because the government actually loves you. (laughs) And they don't want you getting that ticket. We'll see again and again in the book of Hebrews that there is warning after warning after warning because God loves you. And if you are drifting away from Jesus, he wants you to not drift any longer. He wants you to turn back and he wants you to start paying careful attention to his word. I don't know how you're going to do that. Maybe it might involve making some radical changes in your life getting rid of those things that stop you from listening carefully to God's word and living in obedience. But will you hear God's warning to you this morning? Do not drift away. Do not neglect his word. But pay careful attention because God has spoken to us by his son. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, and we thank you that in these last days you have spoken to us so clearly and finally and decisively in the person and work of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that your Son reveals you to us so that we might know you personally and that we might know your ways. What a privilege it is. Uh, to hear your voice so often in the scriptures. Uh, But Father, we pray that you would also help us to continue listening to this word. Uh, Please forgive us if we have been neglecting your word or drifting away from you. Uh, Please forgive us if we have become sluggish in our attitudes to your word 
or if we've been making foolish decisions that take us away from your word, or if we have been living in sin, uh, rejecting your word. Now please help us by your spirit to come back and pay more careful attention to the things we have heard. Now please give us a great expectation that whenever we open the Bible, either on our own or with other Christian brothers and sisters, that we will hear this word as your living word to us and help us to stand in such awe and delight and humility before your word that we will be eager to listen and to obey. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.